the question everybody's asked me this week was, how is Denver? If uh, you're a guest, uh, my brother died by suicide in August, and Monday he would have been 65 years old, so we decided as a family that we would gather in Denver where he lived to be with his family. And uh, so we all flew, Corey and Chloe and Michelle and I all flew out uh, last weekend and we got to be there together as a family and it was good it was exhausting it was draining it was emotional it was full of restoration all the above everything you know and I could go into more details but I, I'm not but I just thank you for praying Matt thank you for covering up here and uh, I just know you guys were praying for us and I greatly appreciate it in that realm of uh, the three or four days that we were there. My, my brother came from an orphanage in Dallas. My two brothers, Jimmy and Curtis, both came from an orphanage. And they had two other, they had two other biological siblings, an older sister and an older brother. Uh, and I had never met those two, the two older ones. But Curtis's daughter stirred the waters, and the oldest daughter, who is now 70 years old, came that weekend and sat down and told us about the whole orphanage experience for my brothers and them. And so uh, it was very enlightening, very emotional, uh, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. And the whole weekend allowed us, my family, to do authentic ministry just to love on my family that we haven't had the opportunity to do in the last 20 so years, but to literally be Jesus, be Jesus in the presence of many people, my brother's high school friends and things like that. And so I couldn't help but think for the last few weeks that we've sat here and talked about Paul saying it's about authentic ministry. Our ministry is authentic. It's not like everybody else's ministry that's, you know, doing the programs and things like that. But it's just being with people and loving people and letting them know about Jesus and about reconciliation and about restoration and all these things. And this is really where Paul has has gone the last couple of chapters, he's like writing to the church at Corinth, who's in a mess, society-wise and culturally and historically, they're, they're in a mess. And he's like saying, there's more to it than this right here. And so today, that's where we're going to pick up. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First one, it says, For we know that our earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that the mortality may be swallowed up by life. Can 
can we talk about this life here on earth right now for a second? This, this physical tent that I'm in. If you, if you know in the old, old covenant, the spirit dwelled in a tent, a tabernacle that traveled with them as they traveled. They would set this tent up and the spirit would be in this tent and would travel with them wherever this tent went. And now Paul is saying, you're the tent. Like, like the Holy Spirit dwells inside of this tent right here. This is a physical tent. But this physical tent will someday go away. It's, it's, mine is going away. Trust me, it's going away. Looks like it's coming, but it's going away. <laughs> and so I am physically limited because of this flesh suit, because of this earth suit that will eventually go back down into the ground and become dust, the same place that Adam came from. This that you see right here, what you see is not me. You have to look through me and see the real me. And this is what he's literally saying. Like, I'm assuming as the holidays go on, uh, so do the pounds, and so does gravity. And gravity is a part of something that this earth suit is having to deal with. It gets harder and harder to walk as we get older. We're slower and slower. Things begin to change. We're literally in a physically dying mode. Now, travel with me for just a second. I want you to think back just, just three or four years ago about your life, just three or four years ago. A pandemic came, quarantine came. What is it, 19 months ago, we were shut up in our homes, in our comfy pants, in our Traegers, in our bars at home, our Netflix at home, our fireplaces, and we all became very comfortable. And in that time, seclusion came. We became secluded. We loved it because we were traveling life so fast that it was good just to slow down and take a breath. But then the seclusion came, and with the seclusion came isolation. Maybe We couldn't even do this right here. We were literally doing Zoom and, and people were getting on and sitting for two hours going, what's going on in your house? What's going on in your house? Remember this? So things changed in our world. We literally became comfortable doing that. And then we got out of it for a season. We got out of it for a season and we began traveling. We had money because we weren't spending it. And we had money and everybody started traveling and going out and doing these things. And then all of a sudden, but now, think about it, we are in the midst of crawling back into seclusion. Literally. We're crawling back, not necessarily because of pandemic and it's just becoming comfortable again. And we're becoming isolated again. And we're stuck on our devices. We're stuck on Netflix series. And 
or posting out on Facebook. What's another series I can watch? You hear what I'm saying? It's like we've just kind of like slowed this thing down. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's time to sound the alarm. You've got to, you've got to realize that there's more to it than what we are being hypnotized into. You're, you're, we're literally being hypnotized back into this thing. I met with uh, the elders on Thursday morning, and I was expressing, you know, my concern, you know, not just for us, but for our community and for just the mindset. And I came home and turned on the TV, and th- this came on. I record the CDC director, Dr. Walensky, in uh, just a little bit. But you do need to tell us, though, Surgeon General has a new warning related to teens and mental health. That's correct, TJ. And it's coming. Uh, it's a nationwide alert released from the Department of Health and Human Services, echoed by the U.S. Surgeon General about a mental health crisis facing teenagers in this country, particularly teenage girls. Uh, This is a 53-page report, and it details how in the early part of this year, compared to the same time period just in 2019, ER visits by teenage girls for suicide attempts, TJ, up by 51%. Boys, 4%. Why there's that massive discrepancy and disparity is unknown at this point. Obviously, both are incredibly concerning, but it is just one more reminder, a call to action about how anxiety, depression, isolation, possibly being out of school, removed from their social environment, developmental progress has taken a massive toll on the mental health of our teenagers. So uh, a real call to increase awareness on this. Dealing with students and teenagers for the past 30-some-odd years, uh, this is concerning to me, that we're literally falling asleep into this. We're literally walking into this. That we're Not that we're okay with it, but that it's happening right before our eyes. It's kind of like the frog in the kettle type thing. It's happening in this very room. Like this this was just this morning USA today. <laughs> Glute pumping, lip plumping, skin smoothing, TikTok trends insist the body is always something to improve at what cost. The body is a project. Just look at TikTok. Videos on hashtag glute pumping are at eighty two million views. Hashtag lip plumping has more than 300 million and hashtag skin talk 1.7 billion. These are the apps that not only the kids are on, but you're on. Says we must morph our bodies to suit what's in style currently in unnatural ways, large butts and small waist, thick thighs with thigh gaps, the trick being that much of this isn't actually achieved in the gym, but by costly surgical procedures. Social media's pressure to present our bodies and lives in ways that deny messy realities are aided by 
democratize access to technology like Facetune that helps us easily rid our bodies of natural imperfections. They said in the Audis, this is a professor of sociology says in the Audis, the Audis is like you ought to, in the Audis people plucked or lasered their eyebrows into thin arches. Now those same people have to go get microblade eyebrow tattoos to have the lush eyebrow look approved today. Every few years now, celebrities and influencers have to go get new plastic surgical procedures on their faces because if they don't, everyone will see they're wearing an outdated facial style. It sounds stupid. I get it. You're laughing. It sounds stupid, but this is what we're dealing with. Is that... You think it's no big deal, and you think it's not affecting you, but it is. If the body is a project, can it ever be complete? Standards of beauty evolve. Costello points to the difference between Gen X teens and Gen Z teens. In the 90s, thin was ideal. Big butts, while appreciated by some, were mocked in mainstream culture. Just a few decades later, Gen Z teens are experiencing what Costello calls a pursuit of the thick form. Big, firm butts and thighs with small waist, thicker lips to glute pumping, which uses resistance exercise to increase blood flow to the butt. Brazilian butt lifts and butt implants all relate to the trends which the Kardashians have become figureheads. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. Because I hang out with teenagers all the time, and I get it. They make fun of me because I'm not in the know. I'm not, like, I'm not fashionable. But there's no way that I can keep up with the fashions. There's no way that you, can, you realize that the teenagers and the social network are controlling your fashion, what you're wearing today. You're a little behind because they don't want to be like you, so they constantly change it. And then you look at them and go, oh, I'm out of fashion, and you change. And this is the circus that we're in. And then we go, well, why is there an increase of 51% in the emergency room because of thoughts of suicide? It's because our world is in chaos. We... We're walking in chaos. And this is literally what Paul's saying right here. It's like, these are tents that we're living in, but we desire so much more as believers. There's, There's so much more to desire and to see and to live than just on this outside. Look what he says in verse five. He says, now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as a down payment. There's a spirit living inside of you, and that's just the down payment of what's to come. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, not by devices. We walk by faith based upon what we know is true. It says, In fact, we are confident we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh, yes. I'm not 
ready to die, but I am looking forward to the day of being out of this earth suit and being eternally with my Father. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, I just freaked some of you out. I didn't, Paul did. Uh, But he said, the judgment seat of Christ. There's two different judgments that are talked about in the scripture. One is the judgment seat of Christ and one is the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is basically, did you believe in Jesus or did you not? And that's obviously way into the future. The judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. This is us in the room. We're all be judged what it says, whether good or evil. Well, if Matt was just up here and saying Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is us in this room, we're believers, there's no condemnation, how am I going to be judged based on good or evil things? Well, he's talking about the only thing that can be judged is our works. Like right now, before you were a believer, you could list all your sins that you've done, and those sins were were there to basically let you know that you needed a Savior. So you had this list of sins, whether it's the Ten Commandments or other things or your conscience. You had these things that you did that caused you to realize, oh, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. But once you believe that, once you become a believer, you only have two choices. It's not a list of sins that you choose from. You either choose to walk by your flesh or you walk by the Spirit. That's it. That's what it comes down to. You either walk by your Spirit or you walk by your flesh. Your flesh being selfish and in your own strength and in your own discipline. Or you walk by the Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord actually lives inside of you and says, let me live this life for you. Let me do this for you. It doesn't mean I don't do anything. He's doing it through me. So when I go to the judgment seat of Christ, he goes, okay, all those things that you did in your flesh and you did in your own strength and everything else, those will burn up. And the only thing that's left is what I did in the spirit, the works that I do in the spirit. So the judgment seat is based upon our works. And you realize that you can do good works and it still be in your own strength, right? You you can do good works and it be all about you. Looks good. But to be able to understand what Sabbath rest is and that I can rest while I'm up here teaching and I'm trusting that the Lord is speaking through me today. This is not about me. Yeah, I've prepared. I've got my notes. But I trust the Lord speaking through me. It's an understanding and a different way of life. He said, let me do this for you. Verse 11, it says, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. I'm I'm telling you, you can't be lulled into the ways of this world, your devices, your isolation, your expectations, it's killing your kids. And it's killing you. 
This is, this is literally what Paul is saying here. He's pleading with them. The ways that you've lived and the things that you've done, the flesh patterns that you've established, you've got to move out of that. There's a better way to this or else you're going to die even physically. You aren't even aware of what is happening but the alarms are going off all around you. Then there's, there's articles, there's, there's people are saying these things, and we just think, oh, that's our society that we live in today. It's bad. What can I do about it? Holy cow, you got this family that's sitting around you that's part of it. He says in verse 12, he says, We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us. That's another translation is boast. So that you may have a reply for those who take pride, who boast in outward appearance rather than in the heart. You see, what I'm talking about is this world that we live in is focused on two things, appearance and what we do. That's what the world is focused on. What I look like and what I do. That's what the world sees and knows about Rusty Kennedy. But man, the thing I love about coming in here, Matt, that you say this is different, is that I come in here and you see me as holy and righteous. You see me as perfect, as redeemed, as forgiven, as a child of God. Who That's, that's the way I hope that you see me. I see you that way. You have to stop what the majority is doing and focus on the spirit that lives inside of you. Verse 13, it says, For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. (laughs) Yes, the world is going to think you're stupid. Yes, the world is going to think you're crazy. Yes, the world is going to criticize you for what you believe. I'm going to choose to do things differently. Even from those who are doing church, I got, believe it or not, I got invited Tuesday. I had some great meetings this week. I got invited Tuesday to one of the mega churches, satellite churches, church staff retreat. And they asked me to like speak to them for an hour. And he, yeah. <laughs> so here I am with, you know, like, 15 staff members, you know, and I'm the little guy in the bar, and they're doing Christmas, you know, 63 services or whatever, and I'm talking to them about Sabbath rest. Any questions? Nope. Nope. Hmm. All right. I I mean, Paul is appealing to the church right here. Not don't he's saying don't listen to the false teachers, don't listen to what you're being told, what you're taught, and all these other things. He's like, I'm telling you, he wants them to live this life of authentic ministry. It's like You fix dinner for your family and you say, all right, dinner's ready, come on. Hey, dinner's ready. Hey, I've only got 10 more minutes in this movie. Can I finish? 
Paul's literally appealing to the church right here. Please come to the table. Come to the table. I'm telling you, it's here. You've got it. It's ready. I'm begging you, quit playing games. Quit chasing the things that are relevant to what is happening around you. Look and see what's happening around you. There are people that are spiritually and physically dying around you. In verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all. One, Jesus died for all. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And therefore, all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, the flesh, but for the one who died for them and was raised. It is not about us. I'm telling you, if we, you guys, and we're doing this in this quarantine mindset, if we focus on us, which is what the world points us to, then it's going to bring anxiety, it's going to bring depression, it's going to bring disappointment. But he says, if you focus on Jesus, if you focus on Jesus, I guess where your intent and your thoughts go to? Other people. And if you are focusing on Jesus and he's sending you out and he's being, you're being the light in the world, I promise you, you will experience a joy that rises to the top inside of you. But if it's about you and withdrawing and isolating and thinking and processing and we end up with these reports all the time. Verse 16, from now on, We do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. I don't see you for what your appearance is, for what you're doing. I don't see you from an earthly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Acts done in the flesh, that's the worldly perspective. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm hoping that's you in this room. If anyone is in Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins, you are in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Why didn't anybody teach me that when I was a kid? Why didn't anybody teach me that when I was in seminary? That there was a transformation that happened in my life when I was eight years old, when I believed for the first time. That he literally took my old sinful heart out. Said something passed away. Something had to die. What died? What died in me? My sinful nature died. in It was no longer natural for me to sin. I was born with it. But now it's not natural for me to sin. Oh, trust me, I still sin. But it's not natural for me. And so when I do it now, it doesn't feel right. It felt right back then. You know, 
I can't get mad at people that don't know Jesus and they're doing all sorts of stuff. I can't get mad at that's that's their nature. It's natural. But for me, it's it's different. He he literally took my old heart out and he he put a a new heart in it, and now the new has come. A transformation has come, and most believers never even realize it. They don't understand it. They don't understand that something has totally changed in them. Yeah, they they know they have salvation. It's not a salvation question. But did they know that in this tent... They have a living God inside of them that wants to do life for them. Paul is appealing to the church, begging with the church, come to the table, come to the table. Figure this out. It's not church in a box. Verse 18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. <laughs> this, you guys, this is the ministry right here. This is, you want authentic ministry. Yeah, I I can I can talk theology all day. I can talk this and I love doing that with you. I love doing that with you, but authentic ministry right now is sitting down across from somebody at the table and saying Jesus has already dealt with that. He died one time. He took care of that, buddy even while you're in the midst of it. He was smiling at you. In the middle of crisis, in the middle of all that we're going through, just sitting down and saying, you're right. It's been reconciled. Let's move forward. You called me soft on sin. I'm okay with that. I'm big on grace. Someone asked the question, Is there too much grace? Absolutely not. There may be a misunderstanding of grace, but there's plenty of grace. He says, therefore, we are are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We sit down with people and we remind them about their identity of who they are. Thursday, I had lunch with the police chief of Fishers. He walks in in his full uniform and his chief of police badge, and he sits down, and we have an hour and a half lunch. And I said, Chief, I don't look at your badge. You're not your badge. Which, if that's what he does, that's his whole life. That's becomes his identity. I said, Chief, I sit here and know as a believer that you're holy, righteous, redeemed. That you're forgiven. 
And he looked at me and said, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. He's a real dude who's got the stress of the city community on him. And he just needed to hear, hey, I love you. I care about you. You're a good man. Not because of what you wear, not because of what you look like, not because of what you do, but because of what he made you. That you're a new creation. I see you in a whole different perspective. That message was received and welcomed. And this is what Paul's saying. I appeal to you as ambassadors that you go out from this room knowing your identity and you hang out with people in the midst of their junk and let them know that Jesus Christ came to reconcile and to make you whole and to make you a new creation. The message doesn't get any better than that, you guys. It doesn't. I have something to tell people. It's not like a product I'm trying to sell. It's like a whole different life. He said, verse 21, the last verse, he said, He made the one who did not know sin, Jesus was perfect, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You guys, that's a past tense statement. Not that we are to become righteousness. It says he did this. He made, that's past tense. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. And when he did that, guess what? You were made righteous. When he died on the cross and his blood was poured out, you were forgiven. You were made holy. You, the old passed away, something died in you, and now you're this new creation and you're holy and righteous and redeemed. You have been reconciled. You are healed, not from your flesh patterns, but from who you are and your soul and your spirit. This is what we have to constantly remind ourselves and remind our kids that are sitting in our house with us on their devices. I'm appealing to you as parents, as spouses, as friends, understand who you are in Christ every day. Every day. And just go out and be. Go out and be. Look, there's nothing wrong with Traeger and Netflix and stuff like that. I, I get it. I do it myself. I get it. But don't get swallowed up in what's happening around because there's something so much greater. And that's all Paul's saying here. You're a new creation. Figure this thing out. Just, just figure it out. You don't need to do programs or anything like that. Just hang out. Talk about Jesus. Love Jesus. Lord, I, I, it's my prayer. It's like... Uh, we figured this thing out that we are the light of the world. Not just the holidays, not just on Sundays, but just every day you've made us holy. You've already made us righteous. It's a done deal. 
And there's nothing we can do to change that. So thank you for that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.